Welcome to another message from C3 Mumbai. For more information about C3 Mumbai, please visit our website c3mumbai.com or visit our Facebook page. Doing a series here on the journey. And uh, today we are talking about the journey of purpose. Right? Last week was the journey of freedom through community. And you know, as Hari was just uh, uh, sharing with us how God really values each one of us. It's not about, you know, just a person in front or a person with a certain gift. But everyone in this new covenant that Jesus came to establish on earth, everyone can be a priest and a king in one sense, a priest unto God. Everyone is called to be beyond that, is called to be a son, a child of God. And this morning or this, we are close to the afternoon right now, past the afternoon, but let's just look at this whole part of our lives. There's such an important part that we call purpose. And we're just going to reflect on this in a nutshell. But I just pray that questions would be evoked in your heart today to start to hunger and thirst to know the purpose that God has for you. So you are God's precious one and designed for his purposes. It's amazing to know that. That you know the, the God of the universe, we are just singing the awesome God. I mean... It, it's really past finding out and beyond our imagination of obviously to know everything about him because that's why he's God. And to know the mysteries of God who is spirit and who is truth. But he's revealed to us himself and he chooses to engage us individually as well as collectively. He loves us and it's Something beyond what we can imagine or sometimes we, we don't feel we are worthy of that love. But that's why Jesus had to come down to earth. That's why God himself had to come and pay the price for our sin. Pay, pay the price for, you know, the, the penalty for our sin. Death and banishment and, and, and a cutting off from God who is holy because sin entered and sin is really missing the mark which caused us to be unrighteous and away from God. But Jesus came to bridge that gap, which man has been trying through the centuries and even still tries today to, to please God in their own strength. But Jesus came to bring, bridge that gap and became the gift for you and me. So that just by receiving him and believing on him, this eternal sacrifice the pathway is made for you and I to not only get into an engagement with the Father, engagement with God himself, but to live out his purposes on earth. The redemptive life. You see, to redeem simply means to buy back or cash in the value of something to get back something else. When God redeems us, 
It means he's paid for our sins and death through the death on the cross so that we are free to live with God and do what he calls us to do. That's why Peter in 1 Peter 1 it says and if you call uh, verse 17 to 19 and if you call on the father who without partiality judges according to each one's work conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear what does it say here uh yeah as foreigners here in reverent fear we are this earth is not going to be our eternal abode you got to remember that right we're all journeying we're journeying though sometimes we'd like to think oh you know i'll get a house i'll stay here i'll do this i'll do that fantastic have a plan yes but there's going to be a time the other day I was at a funeral three days ago. 90-year-old lady lived out a fantastic life. Uh, wife, mother, grandmother, great-grandmother. But the time had come to leave. And we've got to remember that. And so it says here, as long as you're here, it says conduct yourself through the time of your stay, in this modern translation, your stay here in fear. Now fear... It's not talking about some kind of a dread. But here the word fear really means, as we were singing, the awesomeness of God. You see, in that kind of reverence that this life has been given to us. And let's not be callous. Let's not be careless about it. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. From your aimless conduct received, from, received by tradition from your fathers. But you have been redeemed or purchased or bought back with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. And you see, we all know when we look at the Old Testament, the lamb had to be sacrificed. And that was a shadow of what was to come. A sacrificial offering which temporarily covered one's sins. Really speaking about the eternal lamb, God himself was to come down and become a substitute for you and for me. And that's really what happened through the cross. And all those who respond to that experience the buying back. From what? From sin, from darkness, from death, from the clutches of evil. That's what Christ came to do. He came to buy you back and call you back into the Father's house. It's not your earning. It's not your works of righteousness that can do this, though it's all good. But it had to be God himself, the pure, sinless Lamb of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, Ephesians 2.8 says. Not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. So here the emphasis is on the grace, the undeserved favor. 
but the divine ability that God gives to us in order for us to be saved. But by grace are you saved through faith, not of your works. So we can't boast about it. You know, boasting and pride really leads to the fall. That's where the Bible talks about humility and we're going to come to that in finding our purpose which is so key to our life here on earth. And it says, by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. But after we experience the salvation, it says, we become his workmanship. Created in Christ now to do good works. That's part of the redemptive power of the cross. It, not only does he buy you back, but gives you and establishes you in a now purpose that he has for us. You have been given, the psalmist said, a shield of victory. Your right hand supports me and your help has made me great. Beloved, you are called for greatness. You are called for greatness. That may not always be the way we think greatness is. You know about, was it last month I think, uh, I heard about this uh, gentleman who was doing a work somewhere in the city of Mumbai for some years. In fact, some of our churches had contributed. I've heard that this was like another Mother Teresa, but, you know, lifting people off the street who were totally lying their urine and in their excreta and flesh rotting. And you just look at those people and you walk by the side, don't you? So often. And here was this man who about 20 years ago came to the city and felt that his purpose, as he discovered it, was to help people on the street. So he comes on a tour to Mumbai, actually on a holiday. He didn't know Mumbai was the place. He's from Kerala. And as he starts to walk around the city, he says, I started to see people on the street that I didn't see in Kerala. I didn't see that magnitude of what was I seeing in the city. And I was just lost and wondering. You know, when you're new in a city and you're walking around and you see the crowds and the hustle and the bustle and you talk about 22 million people in the city, you feel like one little, not even a drop, a nobody. But you know, in God, you are called for greatness. And the Bible says he knows your name. He knows where you are. Beloved, you've just got to respond to that. You've got to believe, not the lie of the enemy that says you're nothing. That says you're no good. That says you can't really do it. But you've got to believe what the Bible says about you. That you are called for greatness. That you are my sons. You are my daughters. You are my priests. You are my witnesses. And so he says that uh, a father came to him and said, he was in total shambles and he said, you know, I've got these children. I, I don't really know what to do. Can you take them? 
And he said, I don't really know where to take them. So anyway, a few days later, he comes passing by and he finds them in an even worse condition. And he decides to stay in the city. No money. No great funding. And that's how many of us start the journey, beloved. It's not about having enough. It's starting where you are. And depending on your maker to help you to accomplish what he calls you to do. I'll continue that story in a moment. But as a young man, my dreams were different. It was about me having a peaceful life. Deep down in my heart from the age of 14, there was a hunger. I didn't really know it was a hunger. I thought it was a depression, really. <laughs> but, you know, I'm just, man, what's life all I love cricket. I, I played a lot. I got drowned in it. And like poetry, love somebody sitting here from that young age. But deep down, there was a hollowness. And I started to ask the question, why am I here? Why am I here? I didn't think the answer was Jesus or the Bible or anything to do with Christianity as a religion. Matter of fact, no religion. I tried different, different things. I tried meditation. I tried this out-of-the-body experience stuff. You know, it fascinated me. I knew there was something beyond. But in a very simple way and I won't go too much into it because I've said that before. But when I met Jesus through an invitation of a friend, there was a battle in my mind. It just didn't happen overnight. It took a year. But when that happened to me, something changed. Now it was at that point I decided maybe I need to get out of this country, go study further, stay in another country, stay in that rural area there. You know, I had it all planned out. It was almost a part of me. And the day I accepted him into my life, something happened. A few weeks later, I just found that desire to leave was not there anymore. And I had to say, this is the call to be here. Now I'm not saying I know some may be called to uttermost parts of the earth, to the world and, and different, different areas. God will take us from time to time. But in my life, this was my story. And suddenly purpose began to come. I had to step out trusting him in faith. But the redemptive purpose after I got bought back began to unfold. And before it was all about me, how am I feeling and my thing and my selfishness and what am I going to do? And suddenly there was a, a turnaround. It was now about others. I started to think about others. I tell you, beloved, when you start to think about others, purpose starts to get unfolded in your life. Now God is the source of life. Not only is he redemptive, but he's always redemptive. 
It's a present continuous. He is the source and we've got to understand that no matter if you're a businessman, if you're a writer, if you're an actor, if you're uh, a worker, if you're a housewife, whoever you are, God is the source of our life. In Colossians 1.16 it says everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. The message Bible. Everything got started in him and find its purpose in him. I like what Colossians 1.27 says. We don't have to turn there, but it says, In him we move, or Christ in us, the hope of glory. And then before that it says, In him we move, in another translation, and live and have our being. So coming back to our friend who came to came with this purpose to serve the poor, began to realize God is going to be the source of everything I'm going to do. And he got a small room and he started to take people in one by one to try to treat them, look after them. Nothing really was established, legal or illegal, I don't know. <laughs> but he started to do it. And then he got a bigger place. And unknown people began to help him, unknown people. And he would bring people dying, dying of AIDS, bring them in. He would try to take them to hospitals. Sometimes the hospitals would get mad with him and said, man, you, you just get out. These guys are stinking. We don't want them. Find a very difficult journey that he started to face as he did this. But I was with him last month. I was telling Ryan and Rachel that we should organize a trip for the whole church there. There's about 298 inmates now he can take. He's got a 15-acre property. And many of them come to die. Many of them come, get straightened out. And they move back into life. He just told me about a model from Chennai and was on the road. Lost a mind. Nobody there. Didn't know who she was. I saw a video of one of the guys. I mean, I was telling Mel for three days that video was going through my mind. Takes this young man. He was just showing us an example of what happens. Has to cut their clothes because it's all sticking to them. It's just... <clears throat> Washes them up. He's cleaning this guy's hand. This guy's flesh is falling off. And maggots are coming out. There's no exaggeration. Maggots are coming out. They're stench. The D.Y. Patel Hospital now. I think it's the D.Y. Patel Hospital. They've now, they were people who shunned him out today. I made him a consulting board member or something. <laughs> but they say, we want to help. And in this property, there are about five floors. They're just building of a hospital themselves. Still live by faith. How the property came, how that's a whole journey. I'll, have, I'll take an hour to tell you the whole story. We'll be here past lunch. But I want to say, beloved, a man that looks to God as the source and a woman that looks to God as the source. And I tell this to businessmen. I've told it to billionaires. I've told it to the poorest of the poor. God must be our source. 
It's then we'll know what to do with what we have. Otherwise, you can have everything. You think, oh, well, it's better on the other side. You go to the other side, you'll be utterly, totally disappointed. If it's not through the redemptive power of God, it's insatiable. People think, oh, I can get to that level and I'm going to be happy and I want more power and I want more money and I want more sex and I want more this and I want more that. It doesn't happen. Look to him. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. Just watch the time. Some of you know our friend David Fernandez, right? I was just thinking of him yesterday when I was reflecting on this. You know, David, when we first had an encounter, my wife met him first. And uh, he was uh, a successful young manager just coming forth. He was an atheist. Didn't believe in God. Very, very striking personality. Success seemed to be looming all over him. He was making it. Of course, when Mel, Mel always tells the joke because she was raw. You know, someone said she had left the company and when she came back, she said, this, there's this new guy, this new manager. You want to tell him about the gospel? Because she would tell everybody what Jesus did. So he said, yeah, I'd like to. So, of course, he started this, you know, very articulate and she said she was very intimidated by him. And my best man was also there with her. And started to say, there is no God. And she said, yeah, your name's in the Bible. Now, you think it's David. But she said, no, the fool says there is no God. Now, that's not the way to talk always. Anyway, but that really woke him up. But the point is that David came to the Lord. And he called all his colleagues, all his managers, the guys he, he was... You know, he was a, a cutthroat in many ways. And apologized to each one of them. A radical change began to take place in his heart. After he met Jesus. And the company that he was heading as the marketing manager. Suddenly to do exceedingly well. And they commended him. And here's a whole group of unbelievers don't know anything about Jesus and they commend him and he says well it's not really me but you know I met Jesus and he starts telling them about Jesus and he says this is all attributed to the Lord because that's what God had for his life it started to work in him so they give him this redundant sister company that was not redundant but was going down and uh, the owner says well David we want to take over those days there were no CEOs there were general managers and he said, uh, I'll do it on one condition. You hand the company over to me and to God. She said, what do you mean? She said, well, corruption is going to stop. Lying is going to stop. Now, you know, we are a little better today. But 20 years back, it was almost impossible to get by without lying. In the corporate world and bribing. It still goes on. But there's much better chance. And so he, he uh, we happened to know the owner as well. 
And so he tells his board, this is what we're going to do. And this, this is what David's saying. And he said, how can it be? We, we just can't do this. He said, no. And this argument went on for a few hours. And finally, the owner, who doesn't know Jesus, but says, I'm going to hand this company over to David and to God. And a radical shift took place there. And that company, they lost business. The municipality put a case on them. Their the illegal eight flo- or five floors of floor space was going to be taken down. And now he comes to him. The owner says, now what? He said, well, you said you're going to hand it over to God. Now we have to trust him. And he got the church praying and many people prayed for him. And God gave him a way out through a legal loophole in the law. And they finally were able to establish the floor space because eight years had gone by and the municipality didn't do anything about it. It automatically became legal, etc. But then he got six times more business than the company ever had. You want to clap? That's a good thing to clap. And he started to just move forward. And at the peak of everything, he hears... A nudge from God. David, I want you to let go and just come out. Just work totally for me. So he tells the company, he tells the owner. He said, no, 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 no. Why don't you just work three days a week? So he goes back to his team and his church. And they say, no, no, no. You need to come out fully. He said, why don't you work from home? Good proposition. But you know, when God calls you for a specific thing, And he indicates the purpose. You can't really run from it. You won't be really comfortable in doing anything else. So David started to think, oh man, I'll probably have to zoom down on my lifestyle. I mean, just, you know, just live a simple life now and, you know, get rid of all the frills and all the uh, things that I tasted. And guess what? He goes back to the owner. He says, sorry, I can't work for you. He says, I've decided you work for God and I'm going to support you with the same amount that I was. You see, beloved, God is the source. Where does my help come from? The psalmist says in Psalm 127, I look up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And beloved, we are not only called to, do, to be great, we are called to do great things. Not because we are great, because we serve a great God. And if he's put a vision on your heart, if he's put a seed in your life, and you think it's too big, that's a good place to start. Someone said, attempt. Great things for God that is bound to fail unless God intervenes. Now that's faith. And you start with where you are, yes. You start with the reality of the place you are. Total dependence on his security, on his love. The problem is sometimes. You know, we hear 1 Corinthians 13 where it says the greatest is love. 
John 3.16, God so loved you. He loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes on him will not perish, but have eternal or everlasting life. John 10.10, Jesus said, I've come that you might have an abundant life. That you might have life and have it fully. But the problem is, we're still holding on to our little vision and our little strength rather than abandoning ourselves to the Father and running to Him like a little child. I love my grandchildren when they come to me. Oh, Papa! And they hug me. They're abandoning themselves. They trust me totally. When they're resting uh, in the father or the mother's arms, on the grandparents' arms, now we got a new stage. They're secure. They're crying and they're beaten up sometimes with something or they hurt and they get into your arms and then they cry away in security. Beloved, that's the place God has made for you. That's reality. That's not just an idealistic philosophy. It's a reality. The Bible keeps talking about the Father's love. Inviting us into the Father's love. Inviting us into His arms. Inviting us into the sphere of what He wants to do in and through our lives. Now will the journey be tested? Yes. But even there he says, I will be with you. When you walk through the water, I'll be with you. When you walk through the fire, I'll be with you. I'm standing here after I made that decision. 40 years have passed. And I can say, he is faithful. He is faithful. And I wouldn't have traded every test, every trial, Every disappointment, I won't trade it for anything because I've seen even through those things, God has helped us to be what we are to be today and still working on me. Remember that old little children's song we used to say, he's still working on me. What, what is the rest of the line for that? Me, well, making me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and stars, the sun, the earth and Jupiter and Mars. But he's still working on me. Amen. Beloved, are we driven by a guilt? Are we driven by fear? Are we driven by a shame? Are we driven by our past? What's driving us? Are we driven by insecurity? God wants to move that out. He wants to drive you by His love. Because that love, the Bible says, casts out all fear. So let the love of God bring healing to your soul. If you've been disappointed, if you've been abused, if you've been taken advantage of as a child, let the love of God just come in and heal those areas of your life because that's the redemptive purpose. To be healed, to walk holeless in a wholesome way. To experience that wholesomeness. Start to look around you when you're looking for purpose. What are the needs that you're seeing? Don't shun away from those things. Don't shun away from things that you can't really grapple with and you think it's too big. 
This morning, last night, I got a call. Someone said the 1,500 houses in the Kalaba slum area, I mean, near the, the water, have been removed. And he says, we need, uh, we need to feed these people. Young guy who's two minutes from that slum, another believer, Bithal, and he calls me and he says, Uncle, we need that money. What are we going to do? I, I didn't have the money with me. I said, okay, just send me a thing. We'll put it out and let's pray. Suddenly, 60,000 a day to feed them. And I just sent it out and I started getting calls. Someone said, I want to give for one day. I want to give for another day. We, we still haven't met the whole thing. But I'm just saying, here's this man from the slum himself looking at what's happened to these 1,500 families. Of course, some of them have illegally occupied some areas, the mangroves and but the fact is, after so many years, they're knocked out. They don't know where to go. Their stoves are gone. Everything is gone. They're almost on the road with no food. Now we can look at that and say, oh, man. But I think, you know what you can do first? Start praying. Prayer is not a cop-out. Prayer is created for you to cry out to your maker, and he will bring the answer. I've seen so many times in our lives. We've not known what to do with the situation. We prayed to God. And that's what I did immediately on the phone. I said, let's pray. And then he told me some BJP guys are coming. They're going to give the water. And then, you know, all this kind of stuff is happening right now. It's happening right now there. But pray when you see a need. Jesus said, call unto me. I will answer you. I will show you great and mighty things that you don't know of. Call unto the Father in the name of Jesus for the needs that you see. Don't just think of your own needs. If you want to find true purpose, start to look at the needs of others and your need will be like a molehill in front of the mountain. Can God meet my needs? Of course. That's why that famous scripture in Matthew 6.33 says, Seek the kingdom first and his righteousness and all these things shall be added, shall be added to you. Whatever God wants for your life, beloved. What's the use if I have all the billions in the world and tomorrow I'm going to die? What's the use? You've got to leave it down. That's what Jesus said about that guy. He says, you know, I'm going to get these bonds are too small. I'm going to make bigger. I'm going to, and then I'm going to just enjoy it all. And the angel comes and says, you fool, your, your soul's going to be required of you tomorrow. Purpose. We start to give. You know, we were talking about tithes and offerings. We're giving to God, beloved. Never ever give grudgingly. Otherwise, don't give at all, the Bible says. Give cheerfully. But your giving doesn't end here. It starts here. You know, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 8, it says, He gives the power to create wealth. In my journey, we met people from different walks of life. I met a man some time ago who gives 70 million pounds. He's... He's, he's just put in fixed in investments and every proceed he gives for the needy in parts of the world. There are many like that. 
but start somewhere start with the 10 start with the thousand don't wait for the lakhs to come in or the crores to come in start with the thousand start with the hundreds I remember a businessman coming to me and saying, he is a businessman today, but came at 5,000 rupees and we prayed together and he started this business. Today, 90% of all he draws in India, he gives away 90%. Company is worth over 800 to 1,000 crores. He still wants to see it becoming a billion dollar company. But the point is, what do you do with what little you have? Start to be a giver. Start to be a steward. Start praying. If you have nothing, start praying. Don't worry, like, like we prayed last night. It'll start coming in. Fifthly, humble yourself as you live with a sacrificial heart. Matthew 23, 11 to 12. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We see through church history, forget church history, we see through history. People who exalted themselves, thought they'll conquer the world like Hitler, died a depraved death in solace and emptiness. But if you humble yourself, you know what the meaning of the word humility is? It simply means to bend low. To be humble is to bend low. Let's become foot washers in attitude. I remember when I would go to Punjab in one of our churches, one of the owners of one of the tire companies, Sardar in background, in a paralytic stroke and then came to Jesus. He used to come every morning, every Sunday morning, put out the chairs. It was this owner of this big company started to serve. Jesus showed us what service was. And Ryan's going to be talking about that next week. But humility is bending low in every area of our life. It's, it's being like a child. It's willing to learn. Someone was telling me, you know, oh, you must be knowing, you know, so much after your 40 years of work. I said, no, I'm actually on a renew, I'm, I'm renewing my mind right now. I'm learning from younger generation. I'm learning from younger people. I'm learning from children. I'm learning from my grandchildren. I can learn from Elijah, you know, when I'm telling Elijah, Elijah, pray for your papa, his stomach is coming out, he looks at me, I'll pray for you, papa, but I think you should do some exercise. <laughs> He's a prophet. <laughs> Simple, isn't that true? But I've started, by the way, hallelujah. <laughs> so, who is the greatest? That's the problem today. The disciples were fighting, I'm greater, I'm greater, I'm greater. Everyone's jostling for seats and jostling for power. Sad to say, sometimes even in the religious world, even in the church, we got to be careful. Who is the greatest? Jesus says, he that humbles himself. 
He that wants to be great in my kingdom, let him be as him that serves. What's in our heart? No matter how great you are, are you ready to pick up a broom? I was happy our prime minister did that, though some say he did it for the pictures or whatever it is. But I don't know, but he picked up the broom, right? Swachabharat. I believe that. If we need to pick up a broom, we need to do it. I love people who are, I love all people, by God's <laughs> grace. But I meant to say I like people who, you know, after achieving such greatness, and I look at them and I see such humility. I've seen a few people, I've not seen a lot, but I've seen. I've seen both sides. Therefore, our greatest example, and let's, let me quickly wrap this up with one more point after that. But Jesus in Philippians 2, 6 to 8, left behind his glory. Here is the example, the greatest. God himself made himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. He went right down. He was shamed. He was humiliated. He went through it all so that God could identify with the poorest of the poor, with the rejected of the rejected, with the sinner of sinners. He took it all. And finally, he's been given the name at every name. And the Bible says, anyway, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the God the Father. The purpose was to pay the price and become the way of eternal life, peace and salvation for all who come to him. What a purpose. Imagine coming in knowing you're going to die. I've come to die. Death is not something to be feared anymore when you come to know Christ. In fact, it's a door to a greater life. I'm not saying commit suicide, okay? <laughs> that you'll be judged. But don't fear it. Jesus said, I remember Sadhu Sundar Singh, the Siddhar who came to know Jesus many years ago tells this story when he was walking in Tibet. And I don't know if I've shared it here, but he, was, he used to go every year to the Tibetan uh, area of the mountains in the Himalayas. And there, here was this guide and uh, with him. And uh, there was a great snowstorm and a blizzard. And Sadhu Sundar Singh says he, he saw a person had gone down about 150 feet. I can't remember exactly, but he was right down. And uh, he, was, he needed help. And Sundar Singh said, he talked to the guide and said, let's go and get him. He said, no, I'm not coming. We'll die if we do that. And he said, I felt the prompting. And he went down. The guide said, I'm going on. You'll be killed. He went down, brought up the guy, put him on his 
mule or whatever animal he had. And he says, and I walked and I walked. And a few hours later, I found another body. And it was that of the guide who had died. And he said, this scripture came to me from the Bible. He that saves his life shall lose it. But he that gives his life for my sake shall save it. Beloved, give our lives to him. It starts there. Don't hold back. Don't say, Lord, you, every area except this area. No, no, no. The devil will get hold of that area, by the way. Oh, Lord, tell me to do everything but not this. You want to find true purpose. Lay it all down. Trust the one who created you. Trust the one who loves you more than your friend, more than your lover, more than anybody else. Trust that one who's given himself for you. You can trust him and live in security with him all the days of your life. And he will not fail. Therefore, it brings me to my second last point. The last one. We're going to leave for next week with Ryan and Rachel. But living with eternity in mind gets you aligned for God's purpose in your life. 1 Corinthians 3, 13, 15. If everyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hair, straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burnt, the builder will suffer loss. Yet he'll be saved even though as only escaping through the flames. Beloved, there will be a judgment. You know, we look at sometimes people say, man, there's too much of injustice. That guy's supposed to be behind bars. He's walking around. The innocent are behind bars. There will be a judgment. However, in Christ, he has taken the judgment. But even as believers in Christ, there'll be a bima, what's called the judgment seat of Christ. Where it says our works will go through the fire. Wood, hay, stubble doesn't stand the fire. It will be burnt up. Gold, silver, precious stones will be remain. How do we know if you're building gold, silver... And precious stones or wood, hay, and stubble. It's about the heart. You can't judge someone else's heart. I can't judge someone else's heart. We can judge the works of a person. According to the scriptures, you can't judge the intention. But God knows the heart. And I believe if we, and we see this through scripture, if we build with ulterior motives and purposes, and selfishness, it's not going to last. James Dobson, famous doctor and writer, says in college, James Dobson's goal was to become the school's tennis champion. He felt proud when his trophy was prominently placed in the school trophy's cabinet. Years later, someone mailed him that trophy. They had found it in the trash can. 
when the school was being remodeled and James said, given enough time, all your trophies will be thrashed by someone else. Living to create an earthly legacy is a short-sighted goal. A wise use of time is to build an eternal legacy. You weren't put on the earth to be remembered. You were put here to prepare for eternity. What ultimately matters most will not be what others say about your life, but what God says. The grace of God abounds to us today. That's where a slave trader like Newton who traded human beings received Christ and his life got changed. And he wrote that great song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost but now I'm found, was blind but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. C3 Mumbai is a church in the heart of India's commercial capital, where a diverse group of people brought together to worship God and to pass on the hope of salvation by grace that we freely received. For more information about C3 Mumbai, please visit our website c3mumbai.com or visit our Facebook page. Follow us on Instagram or tweet us on our handle at C3Mumbai. Hey, it's Ryan here. If you enjoyed this message and you live in Mumbai, we would love to meet you in person. Why don't you come along 11.30am, Studio 10 at Famous Studios in Mahalakshmi. 